0: available later um, on on our website. So in the question and answer box you have the option of posting your questions anonymously and I believe that only Jill and I can see them as panelists those questions. Our intention is to answer those questions as we go along just like we did before and hopefully your questions will be answered. You do have a raise hand option and we're going to use that from time to time for informal polling uh, throughout the presentations. So clearly, you know, you've been muted upon joining uh, and the rest of this is pretty much the same. There will be an evaluation survey provided sometime at the end of the, uh, the presentation itself. We do send certificates of attendance within two weeks of the presentation. Again, I would, I would ask your patients, those can't be created overnight and so we do ask for up to two weeks typically they show up sooner but can't guarantee that and if you have questions about your certificate please email insource at insource.org those good folks are the ones that produce the certificates and can answer those questions for you if you are calling in by telephone only and that means that you're you don't have a program opened you're not seeing the screen you're only listening in listening mode uh, we we know you're there, but we do not know who you are. <laughs> and so if it is your intention to receive a certificate for having participated, you will have to send an email to insource at insource.org or call the 800-332-4433. That's our toll-free number in South Bend and let folks there know by the end of business day today that you participated in the webinar, but it was only by phone. Again, we have no way of knowing. If you do not do that by the end of business day today, there will not be a certificate available. This is also, this will be cross-referenced against people that registered. You can only get it if, you, if you've if you registered. So again, insource at insource.org for questions about certificates and also to let staff know that you attended only, you listened only by telephone. You'll have to provide your information to them or you can call 800-332-4433. I want to make sure everybody gets credit for, for having, uh, having been here. So, okay, so we're, we're going to go, uh, go ahead and get started. And again, as I said, this is a, uh, a new platform. Zoom is different. We're hoping for really, really good things, and please be patient with us. If we do a little bobbling from time to time, um, hopefully you can all hear what you need to hear, and hopefully we'll be able to help get those questions answered for you we're in the midst of doing a summer of transition series of webinars related to topics uh, regarding kids that are going to be transitioning out of high school into the adult world now you may have a child that's younger than high school they may be in junior high they may even be in grade school and it's never too soon to start thinking about transition because ultimately the purpose of education is to produce young young people that can um, be employed if, if that's appropriate for them to live as independently as possible. And so everything that we do is with a view to trying to help parents and kids to, to achieve that. And so special education 101 is one of our in-source presentations and we We offer this a few times a year, simply because we always have new families joining us. Some of you, this may be the very first time that you've, special education has even crossed your radar. Maybe you have concerns about one of your children and wondering if perhaps they need to be evaluated by the school. Maybe you already have a child with an IEP, but you don't really understand the process very well and so special education 101 is it's a very basic presentation as you know the 101 implies just kind of that overview of the process but i think that we can fill in details sometimes that parents sometimes just don't just don't know necessarily so some of you may be very familiar with this it'll be a great review for some of you it may be the first time you're hearing it welcome welcome and let us let us help you And that's that's what we're here to do. I have to do the legal disclaimer. InSource is not a legal services agency, and we don't provide legal advice. What we can do is to help you to understand the special education process, to help you to navigate it, to help parents to understand that they do have rights and responsibilities in this process, and to sometimes brainstorm ideas that, parents might present to schools in, in the process of trying to secure an appropriate individualized education program for their student. So there are a lot of things that we can do, but we are what's called a parent training and information center. And if you need legal resources, there, are some, there is some information that we, we can provide to you. Parents always have the right to seek uh, the advice of competent legal counsel. A little bit about InSource, as I mentioned, we're a parent training and information center. We were founded back in 1975, and initially it was founded by a group of parents that had children, their, their own children that had disabilities up in South Bend. And these parents kind of banded together to to help one another and also to try to figure out what this new law was that said that kids with disabilities had the right to be educated with their typical peers. As strange as it sounds now, there was a time when Many, many kids with disabilities were not educated at school with their brothers and sisters and and their neighbors and they're allowed to by law now. So these parents banded together to try to help one another. The federal law, the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act mandates that all states have at least one parent training and information center or PTI to help parents to understand that special education process. InSource was one of the first five parent centers to get that grant back in 1975. And we've had it ever since, and it's, it's pretty remarkable. We love helping families, we love trying to educate them and to help and to support them as they support their children. We're part of a national network and our services are free to parents, which is pretty remarkable too. Our current funding is through the Indiana Department of Education and the United States Office of Special Education, and those are, that, that funding takes the form of grants, and all of those grants have requirements, such as collecting uh, demographic information, so when we ask you to, to register, we're, that's part of our grant requirement, and that allows us to continue to offer free services to our families. There are a lot of ways that InSource can help families throughout the state. We have regional offices throughout Indiana. Most of us cover multiple counties. For myself, I cover the south half of Lake County plus Newton, Jasper, and Pulaski counties in Northwest Indiana. Jill covers many counties (laughs) further south and west. And most of us cover, like I said, multiple counties, but we, kind of live and we get to know the the schools and some of the administrators and it helps us to help parents uh, when they attend meetings and as they advocate to get services for their children. So some of the ways that we assist is by talking with parents on the phone, Parents often have a lot of questions. This is a confusing process, can be very frustrating, and that's something that, that folks like Jill and I can, you know, you, talking to parents on the phone, we can often answer those questions or provide some things for parents to think about. Uh, we also send a lot of information for parents to read, um, different documents that can be useful. We do parent training classes. This webinar is a type of of training. It's a webinar, but we also do in-person trainings. And if you go to our website at insource.org, you can go to our training calendar and see what trainings are being offered at any area around the state at any given time. We do sometimes attend case conferences with parents, but we are a parent training and Information Center. And so our main focus is training and educating and supporting parents. So at, at our website, insource.org, we've got lots and lots of resources and publications. It's almost, it's almost overwhelming. There's wonderful information there. And I really hope that you will go and spend some time looking around. Something that I'm particularly proud of is we've got some uh, online recorded videos of, of trainings that you can watch in the, in the convenience and privacy of your own home at a time that's convenient for you. And so you can learn about different topics regarding the special education process. We've also got a lot of our archived webinars, uh, webinars that we've recorded in the past that again, you can watch at home if you can't attend a live presentation. So lots of great resources there. And then I've already mentioned that uh, calendar training events that you can look at. You can also sign up to get on our listserv to be notified via email about various trainings that are coming up. We have a a weekly um, email that we send out with all of the trainings in the area. We list our webinars and there's usually an article of interest at the beginning of the the email itself. And so if you'd like to, to get that notification to keep yourself current on what's coming up within source, that would be a, a great way to do it. Get, get on that list serve. We really want you to be able to enjoy the full in-source experience. Okay. I always like to kind of start with, oh, let's talk about what we're going to talk about. It's always good to kind of have an idea what the presentation is going to be about. I kind of went over some of that special education 101, just that basic overview of the special education process, because sometimes even though we're in the midst of it ourselves with a child, sometimes we don't fully understand that there really are steps in that process and lots and lots of details. And of course, we, we won't be covering too, too many details today due to time constraints, but we'll we'll try to hit on some of the some of the bigger pieces. We're also going to talk a little bit about the parent's role in the process because I've discovered that many parents don't understand that they really do have a place at the table, and I don't mean just sitting there and listening, but being actively involved, being fully informed, participating and in helping to make decisions about services for their child. They, you do have a place at the table. And then probably something most people are interested in is what happens when parents and schools don't agree? Because that does happen sometimes. And so we'll spend some time talking about there are some dispute resolution options going from, you know, very informal ways to more formal ways of working through those disagreements, so... And again, please feel free to post in the question and answer box and Jill will be scrolling for those uh, and feeding me the questions if I need to, or to answer it. So great time to start getting your questions answered. So what exactly is special education? Well, it's education that is special, right? (laughs) There's education for everyone. And then there's education that may have a little special twist to it. So it's defined, you know, and I I really, I can't summarize this any better than the way it's written. So bear with me. I'm going to kind of read through this. Special education is a broad term that describes specially designed instruction. That means instruction that's not general education instruction, that's specially designed instruction that meets the unique needs of a child who has special needs so that that student can benefit from their education. If they didn't have special needs, they wouldn't need that specialized instruction. And you'll find on your goals that there is some reference to specially designed instruction and what that should look like. And then it goes on to say that these services are provided by the public school at no cost. Now, yes, you still have to pay book rental for your child like any other child would. You still have to pay for whatever other um, fees might be out there for that all children have to pay. But when we're talking about special education, we don't have to, parents don't have to pay for the speech therapy. They don't have to pay for occupational therapy. They don't have to pay for that special education teacher. They don't have to pay for that aid that might be assisting. So there's specialized services are at no cost to the parents and instruction can you know can be in the classroom itself it could be at home it could be at a hospital or or other institutions so uh, there's a wide continuum there i want to talk a little bit about procedural safeguards how many of you get that booklet (laughs) pretty much at every meeting that you get so many of them that you could probably wallpaper a bathroom and I'm going to ask you to raise your hand I'm going to look at our attendees raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about procedural safeguards those uh, the, 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 the mini booklet that the school will give you when you go to case conference meetings okay I'm seeing seeing some hands coming up um, you do get those and you know we kind of laugh about it you know get so many of them we could wallpaper a room but the reality of it is we often don't fully understand just how very important these procedural safeguards are. We've got our Bill of Rights under our Constitution for our country. This is not exactly quite the same thing, but it's sort of a a list of our rights. And parents often don't know what those rights are. And so I always encourage parents, number one, take them. number Number two, take them home and review them. And if you don't understand, contact the school or contact myself or, and we can kind of talk through it, but these are your rights and you really need to know what they are. And so basically this these procedural safeguards affirm the rights of, of of a student's parents to be fully informed, which means you need to understand what's going on in order to make an, what we would call an informed decision. It's hard to Make a decision about, you know, what should go into an IEP if we don't really fully understand what that service consists of and and how it might impact our child. So we need to be fully informed. We need to participate in the process. That means you need to be reading the IEP, you need to be attending the IEP meetings, you need to be asking questions. When you don't understand, even if it's after the fact you have your child has a teacher of record who's a wonderful resource for Parents and helping them to understand what their child 's day looks like and how your child is is performing and if they need additional supports um, it has to be uh, or the fact that you are to be notified in advance um, before the school can do certain things and that could be in a revised IEP you need it you need to know in writing what the school is proposing to do and then either agree or challenge there are certain times in the process when uh, parents need to give written consent before something can happen. And so you need to know what those times are. Um, You have the right to have information about you and your family um, held in confidence. In other words, it's not just spilled out to anybody, everybody, the teacher, you know, there's certain information that, that can be given out about all students, but when it comes to special education especially, that's not some that's not information that gets shared with everybody. Parents do have the right to review their child's school records. I think most of us don't think about that. There's a wealth of information in your child's school records. It goes back from the very time your child first walked through the door, maybe even before if they had been out evaluated by the school or perhaps they were in preschool. It's a great source of information and I encourage parents to review their child's records and make sure that they've got some of those same documents, if not all. And then the last right, at least here is that parents and parents have the right to have their disagreements resolved in in impartially and in a timely manner. So it's a really, really, really important, um, right for parents. So I'm going to do another raise your hand sort of poll. I like to know a little bit about my families or my, or the, my, uh, my audience, if you will. Raise your hand if you're the
1: uh, parent of a child with, a, with special needs. Okay, I see one. Okay, okay. And you certainly are not required
0: to raise your hand. If you Okay, got several, cool. Okay, thank you. Okay, you can put your hands down. Now, how many of you are teachers or school staff? If you would please raise your hand. And maybe you're both. If you would raise your hand, if you're teacher, school staff, somebody from the school. Okay, we've got some, great, great, okay, please you can put down your hand. How many of you work for an agency such as a case management service that works with families that have kids with disabilities or, you know, maybe you're with an ABA center or, okay, okay. And so you understand, oh, very good. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah, we do have some folks with dual roles. That's great. Good deal. Yeah, I kind of like to know my audience because even though the information is still basically the same, sometimes we have different needs (laughs) um, uh, for information from from the training. So, great, all right. Thank you so much for sharing that, folks. Okay, so procedural safeguards. Need to be sure that you pay attention to them. There are certain times that uh, the school will be providing them at least one time per year. usually it's at your annual case conference. Uh, They must be provided the very first time that the parent requests uh, uh, an evaluation or the students referred for one. If a parent files a complaint, procedural safeguards have to be provided. If a parent files for a due process hearing, they have to be given a, a copy of procedural safeguards. If a student is moved to an interim alternative setting because of disciplinary issues, again, um, they're given a copy of procedural safeguards. And then if a parent requests a copy. So, but again, for me, the most important thing is read what you've got, because I think you will be very surprised at how much information is there in there. Okay. So let's start looking at that overview, special education 101. We've got got ourselves a process here. And so we've kind of conceived of this process as a a series of balloons or circles, if you will. And each circle represents a step in the process. And what's really nice about having this visual is that it helps us to understand There are certain steps that have to occur at certain times. We don't get to jump around from referral to placement. There are things that have to happen first. And as you can see, referral there on the left is the the first circle. And I like to kind of consider that to be the, the the, the, the key that opens the door or unlocks that door to the special education process. So let's spend a little time Looking or talking about um, about a referral because a referral has to happen before anything else happens so um, so who can request parents can certainly request that evaluation. the school staff may request as well, though parent of course has to give give consent for it but I want to spend a little time filling in a little bit of detail. Parents, if you request a special education evaluation or a re-evaluation if your child already has an IEP, please do so in writing. You know, just save that for your records. It's harder to to lose track of it that way. Um, And send that to your teacher, teacher of record, the building principal, uh, maybe even the guidance counselor. And let them know that you would like to request a, a special education evaluation for your child. I encourage parents to flesh that out just a little bit by you know, sharing what their concern is, why they're concerned, you know, maybe Johnny's been failing math for the past three years, and you really feel like maybe there's something more going on. Maybe they're even doing our t- response to intervention, and, and he's still failing, and, and we, we, need to, we need more answers. And so you can share that. And again, I would encourage you to do it. E- email is great because you can create a folder in your own email account and save it there. And then the public agency, when they receive that request, that starts a timeline. Uh, The school then has 10 school days or instructional days, 10, 10 days the kids are in school, to give, to respond to the parent in writing a notice of an action proposed. So that those 10 school days allows the school a chance to review your child's school records because Some of the people that are reviewing and making that decision aren't necessarily going to know your child. So they're going to look at report cards. They're going to look at standardized testing. They're going to interview the teacher or teachers trying to get a sense of what's going on here. Are there markers that might indicate, yeah, maybe we really should be evaluating or we don't really see anything here that suggests that he really might have a disability. So the school has the right to say yes, but they have to tell you that in writing within those 10 school days or no, but then they need to give you your the reasons for refusal. If the school refuses, parents do have the right to disagree. And that's something, you know, when we talk about later about dispute resolution options, that's, you know, well, you can kind of, take up your cause uh, that way um, if you disagree. But for our purposes today, we're going to pretend that the school agreed. And again, within those 10 days, they're going to respond in writing, yes, we're going to, we're going to evaluate. And then they're going to tell you what those assessments are going to be. But then you have to do a very, something very, very important. You need to sign consent. Requesting an evaluation is not the same as signing consent. So if the school agrees to evaluate, you need to be looking to get in to sign that consent as quickly as possible. And the reason for that, folks, is that once you have signed consent to evaluate, the school has 55-0 instructional days to complete the evaluation, to write up the report, to share it with you, and to convene the case conference to determine based on the evaluation results whether your child qualifies. for special education services or not, 50 instructional days is two and a half months, and that's provided there's no you know, fall break, there's no you know snow days, no fog days, no that's straight out. So generally, you're you may be looking at closer to three months. That's a long, long time. I always feel badly when parents realize that early April that maybe he, my child needs to be evaluated because chances are that evaluation will not be completed until the start of the new school year. So just keep that in mind. If the school agrees, stay on top of that, get that consent signed. Okay. So we're going to say, as I mentioned earlier, that the um, school has agreed to evaluate for our purposes. And so, you know, once they've, they're looking to explore that need, the school will then, start conducting that evaluation with a, a view to trying to determine the st- your student's strengths and weaknesses related to academics, social, emotional, and functional skill. A lot of times we, we get hung up on it's only academics. Well, it's really not. Uh, you know, academics certainly are a big part of it, but we're also going to be looking at social, emotional, and functional skills. And so, you know, a child with, you know, functional problems, functional skills that can impact their education might end up qualifying under that. So if your child is making all Cs, Cs are average, but they're constantly getting in trouble. They're constantly being sent to the principal's office uh, or going to in-school suspension or out-of-school suspension every minute they're out of school they're losing valuable instructional time. And that could be an indication of some other issues and that could prompt a parent to write that request for an evaluation due due to the problems that the child is having in school. This evaluation is also going to try to determine what area of need the child might have in which the child may have a disability. Are we looking at autism? Are we looking at a specific learning disability? Are we, you know, do we have a medical diagnosis? So we're looking at, you know, deaf or hard of hearing or, you know, some other health impairment, you know, again, just trying to drill down to which category or categories of disabilities should we be evaluating under? Okay. Please feel free to ask questions, folks. We're, we're good. Okay, so this educational evaluation is very, very, very important. It has to be done in the child's native mode of communication, whether that's braille or if the child, if English is not a primary language, then it needs to be provided in the child's primary language to make sure that we're not getting inaccurate information because this child is being tested in English and he doesn't really understand English very well. It has to be accurate and it has to be appropriate. And when it is accurate, when it's appropriate, this, this evaluation should help to determine if in fact this, the child does meet the criteria to be eligible under special education. It should also provide information to determine exactly what the needs of that student are. And then following the the, the evaluation, once it's all done, the case conference committee is going to meet to discuss eligibility and services. And hopefully, parents, when you're signing off to uh, giving consent, there should be a place that asks you to, if you want to have a, a, a copy of the evaluation, the written evaluation prior to your meeting. And generally, I think it's maybe five days But you also have the right to meet with someone who is qualified to interpret the results even before the meeting. So, you know, several days before the meeting, you could meet with the school psychologist or maybe even the teacher of record. But it's got to be somebody that's qualified to interpret the results to kind of go through the evaluation with you and you can ask questions, you can start jotting questions down, you can take it home and read it, and then maybe when you actually come to the eligibility meeting, you'll be better prepared to get your questions answered and maybe have a better handle on understanding what what information is contained there. Okay. So, Again, the case conference committee includes the parent as a part of the decision-making process. So, in order to be deemed eligible, the student has to qualify for special education and, and, and related services, and the disability has to be shown, again, through this evaluation, that it interferes with the student's academic achievement, the student's functional performance or both, okay? So again, not just academic. It, you know, we can't say, well, he's making Cs, so we're not going to evaluate. Well, maybe, maybe not. There may be more to it than that. We're not just looking at academic achievement. We're also considering functional performance if, if there's a need to or both. And so the evaluation process is designed to measure the amount of, of, of adverse effect.
2: Kathy? Yes. We have a question in our question and answer box. Would you like for me to read it or would you like to go there yourself? Okay.
0: I I pulled it up. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Um, My son will be starting kindergarten in 2020. He has autism and is currently in ABA therapy at Lighthouse. What is a good time to request an evaluation? I was going to aim for for February of 2020. I guess my question would be, well, no, I I guess he's not receiving special education services as part of preschool. He may in fact be eligible right now if he's going to kindergarten next year, you may wish to start that process now and have him evaluated by the school, your local public school. Um, And, See if he qualifies, and what services might be available if he does through the public school, and then that way he potentially, if he qualifies, would already have an IEP that you guys would look at it, you know, before he goes to kindergarten, and hopefully would be able to continue um, into kindergarten. So, you know, the school becomes responsible at the age of three, and so you know, if you have a child that's three or four. Or five, you know, well, any age starting at the age of three, parents can request that evaluation. So you may wish to consider starting that process right now. And again, I you know, don't know if your child will qualify or not, but, but, but he may. And the public school may be able to provide some services to him, even as a a four-year-old or whatever age he is. And he may end up with an IEP and may be able to take that into kindergarten with him next year. So three and up, start looking into it. Start looking into it.
1: Okay? Okay. Okay.
0: Okay. Um and then he's getting speech through light through lighthouse as well. We are interested in OT, but his schedule is so full right now. We were hoping hoping he could be, begin OT next year. Well, and certainly that that's your call as a parent. Um just don't you just don't want to wait too long to tr- try to see if he qualifies through the school so that if he does, you have an IEP in place by the time he transitions to kindergarten. so, um, But yeah, so that, that's entirely up to you. But remember what I said about that 50 instructional day timeline. You want to have all that done and in place probably before May <laughs> of next year, just to, in, in the event that he qualifies, just to, to kind of have something in place for him. So, okay, that's a great question. That's a great question. Okay. All righty. Okay, so these are the 13 eligibility categories in Article 7, Indiana's Special Education Rules. And Autism Spectrum Disorder um, it, or ASD is a, is a big one. We're, we're seeing that more and more. Um, we're seeing a lot of kids with specific learning disabilities. That's a high incidence uh, category. Uh, Developmental delay, I just want to mention um, this went into effect, well, almost two years ago now, but I'm so thrilled about it. We've expanded developmental delay beyond three to five years old for kids up to three until they turn nine, which means that, you know, a lot of our younger children have developmental delays and they can qualify for services under that, but now that can continue on when they go into for, to, to kindergarten. Used to be we had to either find another category or the child lost services once they went to kindergarten. But with that expanded age, age time frame now, um, it's uh, we're keeping kids sometimes where they, where they really need to be. Um, orthopedic impairment, just what you would think. Emotional disability, yeah, we're, we're seeing a lot, of, a lot of that. Cognitive, cognitive disability is now um, in an intellectual impairment that just changed, some of the terminology changed back in May. Get a lot of kids with speech language impairments. Um, other health impairment, we get a lot of kids with medical issues. ADHD is a huge one. If it's serious enough, if it's having enough of an adverse impact on academic and functional performance, a lot of our kids will qualify under OHI. So a traumatic brain injury is a brain injury that occurs after birth. And so, you know, if a child is injured in a car accident or someplace else, and again, if it has that adverse impact on educational or functional performance, they might qualify under that. Um, And the question is, what eligibility would sensory processing disorder qualify under? Well, that's a a good question because uh, it's not a standalone category. And so typically, there's often other symptoms, if you will, or characteristics. We often see that under autism, but again, the child, in order to receive related services, which is often occupational therapy for sensory issues, the child would have to qualify under one of these 13 categories in order to get related services. You don't get related services if you do not qualify under one of these 13 categories. So you often see it um, under autism spectrum. But You know, that's a great discussion to have with the folks at school, maybe the school psychologist, and just kind of collect your data about what you're seeing um, and maybe what the teacher is seeing in terms of behavior and, you know, something if they've got a lot of sensory issues and it's keeping them from doing well academically or, you know, being able to maintain their behaviors or whatever appropriately in school, you all need to be at least looking into that but that that's a great question but it sensory processing is not a standalone category of disability in order to receive some sort of services for it the child is going to have to qualify under one of these 13 categories but that's why you know it it would be important to have that discussion you know help me to understand this is what i'm seeing what could we be looking at in terms of a of an evaluation for special education so okay so sorry, the, the answer is, well, not sure. Okay, well, and the child has autism, so if you've got a medical diagnosis of autism, you could request special education evaluation under autism, and then, you know, that those issues with sensory processing could certainly be looked at as a part of that, and if it's determined that the child qualifies and that sensory processing is a need, then you guys could look at how could that need be met through the IEP, okay? Um, if your child already has an IEP for autism, then you guys should, be have, should have been having that discussion already for sensory processing, looking at how is that manifesting at school? Is it manifesting at school? Um, sometimes we see more of those behaviors at home than the school necessarily does, but not all the time. A lot of times schools see it and know quite quite well what it is. So if you already have an IEP, you need to bring that up at your meeting and and talk about those issues. If your child does not qualify, um, does not currently have an IEP, and you're concerned about their performance at school, you can request a special education evaluation, and you can specify autism, but you can also specify your concerns about um, those sensory processing uh, issues that you're seeing at home and possibly at school as well, and you guys should have a discussion about what potential category of disability the school might be interested in evaluating them under so if you 've already got a medical diagnosis of autism um, you've got a lot you've got a lot to go on got a lot to go on to start with, okay, so again, thirteen categories of disabilities. Um, and they are all defined in Art- Indiana's article 7 i say defined maybe that's not quite the right word but that description is what you and the case conference committee will be looking at as you compare the evaluation results does it are are these symptoms are these characteristics showing up in this evaluation are they, are they being seen which would give you a, a better idea whether or not your child meets Uh, the eligibility criteria okay so the IEP so we're again for today's for the purpose of today's presentation we're going to assume little Johnny qualified right (laughs) Um, if if the school maintains at your your qualifying meeting eligibility meeting that they don't believe Johnny qualifies but you do you do have some options um, you can ask that the school pay for an independent evaluation if you believe that the school's evaluation wasn't accurate or appropriate for some reason. Now, the school has the right to refuse to pay for an outside evaluation, but they have to take you to what's called a due process hearing to prove that their evaluation was accurate. Or they may choose just to, to go ahead and pay for it. They will give you a list of uh, evaluators appropriate evaluators in, in your area and generally the parent chooses who they're going to go to and the school makes the arrangement for payment, but that independent evaluation would then, you know, you would come back and consider those results as you sit down again to try to determine if your child qualifies. Um, that's one one way to go. Um, maybe you'll agree that Johnny really doesn't qualify based on the description in Article 7, but you're not going to know until you have that evaluation and you guys sit down at the table, okay? So, again, for our purposes now, we're going to go with the understanding that Johnny qualified for services, and so now we're going to write um, this Individualized Education Program, or IEP, you know, we do love our acronyms, (laughs) and it's a written document that's developed, reviewed, and revised by the Case Conference Committee. So again, parents, the the correct school personnel are all there to be a part of that team. And by the way, you did receive handouts for this presentation. You've got the PowerPoint slides that match this presentation, as well as several other documents, one of which was who should be invited, and it talks about um, the, the people that are required to be attending the meeting um, from the school. Parents certainly need to be a part of it. Again, fully informed, fully involved, the student if appropriate, and then some of the other school staff who need to be there. So I would strongly encourage you to to please review those handouts. They're great. You can print them off and and use them and and look back at them from from time to time. So you're having your meeting to determine eligibility. We've We've decided the child's the child qualifies. Now we're going to write the IEP and this document is going to explain how the, how our child is going to access a general education curriculum if appropriate. Um, basically we believe most kids with disabilities should be able to be learning what general ed students learn, hopefully even in a general education class with appropriate supports and services. There are some students with Uh, more severe um, intellectual impairments that may kind of take them out of that realm because they may not be able to do the academic coursework due uh, due to their particular disability, but they will still have their own standards that they need to meet too. But for most kids, they're going to be exposed to the general education curriculum, They're going to we're going to hopefully keep them involved in a gen ed classroom, help them to to learn what everybody else is learning. And then within the IEP, we're also going to be discussing the special education and related uh, services that are needed to to participate in the general ed or in the educational environment, whether it's general ed or a more restrictive placement. So that could include things like um, occupational therapy, if determined appropriate speech services, again, if determined appropriate, physical therapy, and then it's going to say how often and how many minutes per month or per week your child's going to get those services. Remember, and then we'll be designing goals that are written for a year out so that a year from now, when we meet again at our annual case review, hopefully all of those goals have been met and if they haven't been hopefully we figured out long before a year from now that they weren't meeting them and trying to fit and trying to re- make revisions to change that outcome why aren't they making making that kind of progress and remember the statement of specially designed instruction if we're instructing kids with, with special needs that need special education, the same way we're in, instructing general ed students without providing them appropriate supports and services to overcome the, the effects of that disability, they may not be learning what they need to be learning. So look for that statement of SDI in your, in your goals within that IEP, okay? All righty, okay, I am going to hand the controls over to Jill. She is going to um, take over. Jill, do I stop sharing, or can you just automatically take control? I'm going to take control. Okay, very good. Like I said, we're... Working our way through our new process, and so if this all goes away, we made a boo boo. <laughs> <laughs> so, and please keep those questions coming. You've had some good ones. I hope you didn't all fall
2: asleep. But, <laughs> <laughs> and, and again, thank you so much for with us because we, um, we absolutely are uh, working on. Um, this uh, new platform and so there you go Um, anyway I need to (laughs) see I've already messed it up I uh, (laughs) started on the wrong slide so let me get to where I was supposed to be and so that you guys can uh, yeah okay how is that (laughs) you know I'm so sorry you guys it's not funny but um, Kathy and I have worked so hard on learning this new platform and I'm telling you I woke up this morning at five o'clock just absolutely terrified <laughs> because I was so nervous about starting so anyway I hope everybody can see my screen and everything is good um, so yeah let's go and talk a little bit about our case conference committee members so who's going to be there and um, it really is um, one of those things that, um, as a parent, absolutely you are there. You are invited. Um, if you are a student and you are 18, then you would be considered to be the parent. But this is a team of parents and professionals, and sometimes it's a um, a very large group. Um, but this group that comes together is going to know your student's strengths and their needs and it's going to be very knowledgeable and we want this team to come together so that they can help us to determine those eligibility services um, so that they can help develop that iep um the the iep the case conference committee is required to meet so that they can make those revisions to those ieps and it has to be at least one time a year and um So, you know, at least one time a year, you should be getting together with this group of of committee members and coming together and talking about your child. The list of people that you do see here, the parent, you know, absolutely, you're the most important person here. And don't ever forget that because you are very vital. This is your child we're talking about, and you are your child's best advocate. Um, You um, have your public agency representative, And this person is someone that can come in and they are the one that can dispense funds. If we would need somebody to be, um, if we were talking about a change of placement, this person would need to be there so that we could talk about where the uh, best placement opportunities for this child are. Um, Your teacher of record, this person is going to be licensed in one of those areas of 13 categories that Kathy had talked to you about earlier. Um, If this is a a initial case conference, this will be the one that, um, it would be the suspected disability. You will have an instructional strategist there. That person is somebody that can explain um, your um, evaluations. Any of those evaluations, this person can come in and explain. And sometimes it can be your teacher of record. Um, I've had it be the uh, public agency representative um, because that was the special education director. Um, your public agency representative could even be your um, building principal um, but that instructional strategist can come in and explain those you will have a general education teacher because they would have more they would have the knowledge of what your child is doing in that general education setting and a lot of times
1: that they would come to the table with a, um, uh, a, a probably a um, notes from
2: your other, the other general education teachers if they have others that they go um, and touch on a daily basis. And a lot of times we have other people that know and have knowledge of our students' strengths and, and challenges. So um, it could be somebody else that would be in there. It could be a uh, counselor. It could be um, maybe your child is either excelling or maybe they have a challenge and maybe like the art room. That, that person could even be there. But a case conference committee team has to have a scheduled meeting and it has to be a mutually agreed upon date, time, and place. Um, you have to be, as a parent, have to be given notice of that case conference committee meeting um, and hopefully you're getting that early enough so that you can ensure that um, if you are a, um, your husband, the, 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 the father, the mother, and everybody can be in, in, in there together. Um, so that both parents have the opportunity to attend. If for some reason you as a parent get that date and time and it is not um, a date that is uh, conducive for your, for your uh, schedule, then absolutely,
1: as soon as you can, please get a hold of the school so that they can try and um, get you a different date and time. What does the IEP and what what it has to contain?
2: It is specifically designed for each child. So this is an individualized educational plan and it has to address that present levels of performance, um, how the area of disability is going to affect, affect that progress. It's going to have to have those measurable goals and how that progress is going to be measured and any of those special education and related services. Um, if at any time you're in a case conference and these areas do come up and maybe you don't understand um, what that is, uh, maybe you don't understand how they're measuring a goal, then absolutely please stop the case conference and say I don't understand how this goal is gonna be measured or um, this, it doesn't seem to be able to be measured. Um, or how the progress is going to be measured. Please ask them so that they can definitely explain it to you because you don't want to leave a
1: case conference and sign something that you do not understand. Um, The IEP also must contain a square,
2: Um, It's going to talk about that um, extended school year services, if your child is in need of that. It's going to talk about that student's least restrictive environment. And, And this least restrictive environment would be where they spend the majority of their day. And it also needs to
1: contain the transfer rights if your child is at the age of 18, and any sort of written notes to that meeting. So when we talk about finalizing an IEP, we have up on the screen two different IEPs. You have on the left an
2: initial IEP, and on the right you have a revised IEP.
1: And so the initial IEP would be one that is um, where you would, um, I'm sorry,
2: The initial IEP is one where you, just what it is, it's the initial, it's the first time your child has ever been placed into the special education system and you are needing to get that um, one signed. As a parent, you have 10 instructional days to provide that written consent or refuse to fail to give consent. So you have 10 school days to provide that consent. And if you don't agree with it or you fail to give consent, nothing will happen. Your child will, it's, it's, they will not be getting any services. They will not be, um, there's just nothing that will happen at that point. You will need to come back to the case conference and, um, have, you know, discuss the reasons why you don't feel like that, um, the IEP is, um, where it needs to be so that you can sign it. When we talk about a revised IEP, and this is one that you've been in special education, this may be your 10th IEP that you've signed. Um, The parent, you have 10 instructional days to respond to the proposed IEP. And you can agree, or you can challenge the revisions um, after you receive the proposed IEP. So you have those 10 instructional days as well. However, if you challenge the revised IEP, The previous IEP does go into, it stays in effect. And you really need to come together as a team and really work those out. Um, And to try and put into place uh, the reasons why you are challenging that IEP. But you need to remember that, um, you need to remember that if you do not sign that IEP, or you don't agree, you have to make some sort of um, note, let the school know that you are going to challenge it. Because if you do not tell them, then your
1: IEP will go into effect on the 11th day, that next day. So now let's talk a little bit about placement. We talk about placement, we're talking about um, where
2: the special education services are gonna take place. So where your child will be educated is what we're gonna talk about. Um, I like to call it butts and seats. Where is your child going to be at during that day? Is it going to be in a, in a placement of a self-contained classroom? Is it going to be a general education classroom with a special education push-in teacher? Is it going to be part of the day in a gen ed classroom and a resource room? So there's a various different ways that we can talk about placement.
1: And um, again, this is an IEP, so it is very individualized on where that placement's gonna be at. Schools are required to provide a continuum of placement
2: options. And again, it could be a general education classroom, it could be a resource room, It could be, you know, um, like I said, um, even a um, separate classroom that, that, like, a self-contained. It can be a non-residential school, residential school. It could be even homebound or in that hospital setting. Placement services are going to look, again, different from each child. Um, So where they spend most of their time
1: is where that... Services are going to be where that least restrictive environment is going to be. Um,
2: you know, it, and again, when we talk about these, always keep in mind that it depends upon what your child needs and where the support is going to be best for them. Um, um, some students, um, you know, it, it just depends. Homebound is on some options for some students, and that's their best least restrictive environment. Um, Again, schools are are able to meet a variety of students' needs, and um, the schools, however, they're not required to provide all of the options. Um, They're only to ensure availability. So we have to make sure whenever we're talking about that um, continuum of services and where those placements options are, again, remember, it's a case conference committee decision, and you have to be part of that and you have to be in that open discussion on where they're going to be at. And it can be a mixture of Gen Ed, resource room, Gen Ed, um, you know, with push-in services. It could be
1: anything that you, as a case conference committee, come up with that you find is in the best interest of that child. So an annual review. When we talk about an annual review, it's
2: every year. Like I said, every year you have to come together and you have to re-look at that IEP. You have to, um, it can It can be, um, when my son was in school, we done it around his birthday and that was in May. Um, some schools do it whenever you first initially got into the special education process. And so they take that as their, um, uh, their uh, annual review date. It just depends upon what that is. But after that initial case conference committee meeting, you, the, they are required to meet at least once a year and they have to review and revise the IEP. Um, and you know, this is, the, this is the time when we have to look and to consider any lack of progress and adjust accordingly. Now I want to remind you as a parent, you have the right to reconvene that uh, case conference at any time. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm not saying you go home and, and next day reconvene your case conference. Please don't do that. <laughs> go home, digest what happened at the case conference, look over the IEP, make a list of your questions, and then come back and look at, the, look at your calendar and see when you can come back to the table. Understand that, you know, you as a parent you have the right to reconvene that case conference at any time. Now, if you're six months into the school year and things are just not working out and you've got, you know, three more months before your case conference, absolutely reconvene that case conference and get in there and say, you know, the behavior plan's not working out or the goals that are written in here, he, maybe they've already, he or she's already um, attained those. So just remember that
1: not just once time a year that you can, that you have to have that annual review. Whenever we talk about a reevaluation, once a student is eligible for those special
2: education services, any evaluation after the initial evaluation is called a reevaluation. Um, reevaluations have to be considered, but they're not required every three years. So we need to be talking about those generally whenever you are two years into it you might start hearing that, you know, well, we need to be talking about whether or not we need to do a reevaluation or if um, uh, what we have is, is the most, uh, the best information that, that we have. Um, you know, it's one of those things that if you think there's gonna be new information gleaned, then absolutely, you can ask for that reevaluation. Um, you as a parent or the school, they can request a reevaluation at any time. Um, but you as the parent and the school have to agree. So, you know, if, if for some reason something comes up and you're into two years of your child's um, um, special education process and you feel like that there's something that's happening or maybe there's a new medical diagnosis, maybe there is some, um, um, some uh, real challenges that you're seeing come up in the school in different areas, then you may want to start talking to the case conference committee about a re-evaluation. See if there's something new that you're going to be able to glean out of
1: that evaluation that um, will help you in order to plan for that that next IEP. So what are the parents' responsibilities? And
2: as as a parent, you have the responsibility to participate. Um, you have the responsibility to, to, you know, if you, if you're able to be there to at the case conference, when the school gives you that information of the the mutually agreed upon time and place, then please be there. If you cannot be at that case conference, please let them know that you're not going to be able to attend. You need to reschedule, give them dates, that you're able to be there participation in the case conference is very, very important because you're the one coming to the table with knowledge that you have about your child. When we talk about participation, you also want to be able to voice your opinion and voice your concerns on any sort of um, services that we're talking about in here. Um, It could be their least restrictive environment. We need to hear the parents' voice on that. We need to hear what the parents' concerns are um, if they don't agree with maybe where that child is going to be participating and where they're going to be um, at in that placement. Um, We need for you to be able to give written consent um, when appropriate if you need to um, give consent for those evaluations. We also, um, to monitor those IEPs, because they are implemented, and as a parent, um, have those conversations with your kids when, the, when they come home about their IEPs, and I'm not saying beat them over the head with it. That's not what I'm saying, but you will know, like, if you start to see test scores that you don't think are, are consistent, you know, have that conversation. Are they supposed to be in a pull-out situation? Were you pulled out? Did you have your test read to you? Those are things that you can ask them and they'll be able to, you know, say, no, I didn't go to the resource room or no, I didn't have any help with it. Um, So there's a good way to monitor the IEP. Um, You know, so there's different things that we can do. If you're a parent that you have a communication log that goes back and forth between you and the school, absolutely make sure that that communication is still there and everyone is documenting the things that you've requested in the IEP or maybe the schools requested that there be a communication law go back and forth. So we're just asking to make sure that parents, your part of your responsibility is to participate. Um, Written consent again is for that, um, whenever your child is going to have those evaluations. So please make sure that you give that written consent. If you agree, you don't agree, then that's kind of a different conversation. Why don't you agree what's going on? And you need to have those conversations as well. Remember, ultimately, you are serving as your child's best advocate. And even your,
1: even your teacher of record and your teachers, they're serving they, what they think is in your child's best interest as well. Let's talk a little bit
2: about a home file. And for those of you that know um, and have heard Kathy and I talk before, you know that a home file is something that is extremely important to both of us. Um, my son's been out of school um, while he's 22, and so he's been out of school for several years now. Um, and, and you all know that if you've listened to me before, you know that I had that file. It was a four drawer filing cabinet. I kept everything, and that um, you don't have to necessarily keep everything, <laughs> but you want to keep the most current at least keep those most current things. And you'll wanna keep like those evaluations. So let's say you had your evaluation three years ago, you still wanna make sure that you have that so that you can keep that and because that is the most current information that you have. Keep those copies of your IEPs. And this way you can go back and reference IEPs From even this year's to last year's, maybe you get home with the new IEP and you want to compare to see what those goals were or to make sure that the same goals aren't being written um, or, you know, see what the progress is. So it's very important to keep those IEPs and keep those report cards because those report cards will also give you information on those grades. You know, um, we all want our kids to be, you know, um, scholars, road Scholars and everything else. but I, I, average is C. And this way, if we get our report cards and we can also determine, we can see what that progress is on those by those grades. Any of those state and local assessments, whether it be the I read, I step, I star, whatever that local assessment, NWEA, keep those results too because again, you can compare these from year to year to see how the progress is. Now, it's not going to be apples to apples, because obviously, you know, it's growth is going to be there. And whenever we talk about like the NWEA, it's going to be on what that child's year is and what that child's, um, what the the national norm for that age group is. But you can still make out different um, assessments, and you can make out different ways that they are growing. Um, Samples of homework, I always kept samples of homework so that whenever I went to the case conference, I would be able to say, you know, especially with his handwriting, because that's one of the areas that he really struggled in, I was able to, sh- to show whether or not I thought he was showing any progress in that. And also samples of homework were good ways to show um, whether like in, in written paragraphs to see if they were able to do um, more of that written paragraph work that he had in his goals. Any list of medications that you that your child is on currently, any notes that are sent between you and the school, or notes of phone conversation, any reports, letters, or um, from your doctors, your psychologist or psychiatrist. These last three bullet points, um, I these here were things that I kept because I could always refer back to and say, you know, Mrs. Smith, I know that we had talked on the phone on September the tenth. And, you know, we had this conversation and we both agreed that, you know, more time was needed to be spent on phonics. Um, So you had this to kind of back things up and so that they would be able to say, yeah, I remember that conversation. Any of those notes that were sent between you and the school, that's really nice to have because then, you know, same thing. Well, we did agree that this is what was going to happen and I have this letter. I will tell you that I tried to always keep things in chronological order and to keep, you know, um, if it was in August, I kept it in August. If it was September, I kept it in September, and I just kind of kept things moving forward. But And and, and not to sound morbid, but the biggest concern I had was if something ever happened to me, then my husband would be able to come in, pick up that, that initial binder there in front, and he would be able to walk into either the doctor's office or a case conference, and he would be able to either call somebody from source for help, or he would be able to know who the teacher of record was at school. It would all be right there in one binder. Now, everything behind there was all of the other things that were um, from previous years, or um, it was the, the, the binder was always the current year that we were in. Anyway. So that is a home file and I'm, I'm just, you, you keep it, however you find it's best for you and how it works for your family, but it does work to have that home file. So let's talk a little bit about solving resolving disputes. When we talk about resolving disputes, you're always gonna need some good communication because that's always gonna be the best way to make it through
1: um, any sort of uh, dispute with the school. Um, you may, um, the students are always going to have better outcomes because we're all going to work together.
2: And if we as parents and our, our uh, schools work out those differences, then we can um, absolutely um, come together and work together on those. And the law does provide for formal dispute resolution. And that would be, one would be a complaint process. Now in a complaint, if you wanna file a conformal complaint, um, there is uh, the Indiana Department of Education does have what they call a iChamp, and you can go online and you can find that and you can fill out that complaint and um, you can uh, send it back to, um, you have to sign it, send it back to the Department of Ed and you also have to, make sure that you have given your um, uh, special education and director a copy of that. When you talk about filing a, a complaint, a complaint is a matter of fact. So let's say that um, your child was supposed to um, receive uh, 20 minutes of speech therapy and the school had failed to give them the 20 minutes of speech therapy, then, that would
1: be what they would consider to be a matter of fact. Um, it's uh, that it's just what it is. It's a complaint process, and um, that you can also file a complaint on anything that would be
2: that doesn't follow the requirements of the Article Seven. That would be your Indiana Special Education Law. So, if a parent agrees, or I'm sorry, disagrees. Dispute resolution options are mediation,
1: due process, or civil suit. So when we talk about, oops, sorry. When we talk about mediation, mediation is one of those processes that the school
2: and the parent must agree upon. And that um, you, um, when we talk about that mediation process, at that time you still have um, control over what's going to happen. You still have control over the fact that um, what the outcomes are, it's it short processes. Because when we file a complaint, a hearing or a, um, um, a complaint investigator is going to be the person that determines the outcomes of that. In mediation, It's the um, trained mediator comes down from the Department of Education and gets both sides, you and the school, trying to talk and trying to get everything out on the table. And at that time, you still have the right to say, No, I'm not, I don't, this is not working out. It's not the way I wanted it. Um, And um, you can still go from there. Um, But it gets at least both sides talking. A due process hearing is a hearing where you are. You do file um, for due process. Same thing as you fill out a paperwork, and then the school assigns, or I'm sorry, not the school, the Department of Education assign, assigns a hearing officer, and that hearing officer is the one that determines the outcomes. He's he or she's the one that decides who is who prevails and who doesn't prevail. Whenever you talk about a due process hearing, also there is a um, you have to have a resolution session um, prior to uh, 10 days in to try and come up with a, um, I call it the last ditch effort. You have to be able to come in here and um, come together one last time. That is usually the special education director and the um, parents, that's not a time to bring an attorney into that uh, resolution session. Um, That is not when that would be to happen. You would go in there and again, like I said, it's that last ditch effort trying to make sure that you are um, going to either come to an agreement or you're not going to come to an agreement. And sometimes you won't come to an agreement. The last thing is a civil suit. And um, this absolutely is another one of your your parental rights. You have the right to do this. Um and um it's part of your procedural safeguards, um, but it's only available after due process hearing has been held. Um any party that would disagree with the hearing officer's decision, um, they can file for judicial review and civil court in a civil suit. Um, so you do have, you know, absolutely you do have these three processes that you
1: can go through. It's if you are in a um, disagreement with the school with the IEPs so in summary let's talk a little bit about that special education how it follows that
2: process again it's that wheel you need to make sure that um, again that you um, completely understand whenever you whenever you are in that process if at some time you do not understand the process please stop the the case conference or um, if you're not in the case conference, if you're talking to the teacher of record or you're talking to a special education director, please have them help you to understand what that is um, and so that you're not, you don't get lost in the shuffle of this. If you um, have reached out to any in-source personnel, um, we can help, you know, depending upon what our schedules are, we can help you through that process as well, whether it be on those phone conversations or some do attend case conferences. It just depends upon what, what the schedules are. Remember, as a parent, you are an equal partner in this process that we just ask you to participate and to please, you know, let, let people know schedules, let people know um, things that are going on. Um, we absolutely want to try and build those good relationships um, with the school and um, try to avoid conflict at all if possible. And, you know, I'm not asking you to sit around everybody saying kumbaya. Um, That's not always going to happen. At some point or another, you will, you know, everybody can't agree all the time. And, again, we're talking about human relationships here, human uh, uh, feelings, and we're talking about our children. So, uh, you know, if there is a problem and we, you know, we just want to try and keep those relationships intact. But there are tactful ways to go through things that are um, um, that we don't agree about. We want to try to solve those problems at the lowest level possible. We want to, you know, start, you know, if it's something that um, um, that is that we can talk to our teacher of record, start with your teacher of record. Sometimes it may start with a general education teacher. And you know you can even start at that at that lowest level point. Um, It just depends upon what the problem is. But please try and and, uh, resolve all of those problems at that lowest level possible, and then go up from there. And then at any time that you need to utilize any of those dispute resolutions, please utilize them too, because absolutely those are um, part of your um, your rights as a parent. So, but just to make sure that
1: you do understand. that you do have those rights. Um, real quick, I'd like to go over that. we call a parent support volunteer program.
2: Um, if any of you would like more information on this or do you feel like that um, you would like to maybe help other parents or you can even assist um, the staff like Kathy and I um, when we go to workshops and fairs um, and you can also attend case conferences to support parents and students Um, just like the um, in-source staff does. We do give ongoing training and support. Um, There's a regular newsletter, um, there's social events, and there's, um, it's just a a good opportunity even to help other families to make a difference.
1: I don't see any questions that are in the the, um, question and answer box. Um, I
0: don't see any either, Jill. Okay, Okay. this is your chance folks. Okay, well, we'll keep watching for a couple minutes and I'll just do some uh, some closing thoughts. Thank you so much for joining us on our first inaugural Zoom webinar. <laughs> we should all get a, a, a medal for participation. We appreciate your patience uh, with us as we uh, endeavor to learn this program a little bit better. Just want to remind you about the survey that will be coming shortly. Uh, regarding the presentation itself we we do appreciate the feedback it helps us to make improvements as as needed and as appropriate and also I did we do have four call-in users this program does identify that however again it still does not identify who you are so for those of you that called in and listened only by phone we don't know who you are we know you joined us but again Uh, uh, Email insource at insource.org, again insource at insource.org, or you can use your phone and call 800-332-4433, again 800-332-4433, and again either call or email us by the end of the business day today, and uh, you'll and identify yourself that you were a phone in only user so that you can provide the required information and hopefully you'll get your certificate. Certificate should follow sometime within the next two weeks. If you have questions about those, Jill and I don't do the, the certificate, so we can't answer those questions. However, uh, insource at insource.org, if you reach out to them, they'll be able to, to assist you in that. So uh, our next webinar will be uh, Tuesday, September 3rd, and it will be on preparing for the Special Education Case Conference. We like to do that after Special Ed 101. It seems to be a nice nice segue, if you will, from Special Ed 101. What can you do to better prepare for your child's upcoming case conference? And a lot of
2: really great information to share. Okay, I'm, oh, I do... do. We do have a question that's been posted. And it says this might not be appropriate for this 101 seminar webinar, but I have a child who graduated high school in 2017, but going into college, have any info for students going into college? Um, Actually, Christina, there is a, um, uh, we have a list on our website and you know what? My brain is just not working today that um, you can, Kathy, you know what I'm talking about? The, um,
0: Yeah, we've we've got, uh, it might be under transition, if you type in transition under the, in in the uh, search box, um, it might be listed there. I mean, we've got a a lot of resources, the hard hard part is trying to find exactly where they fit neatly. Um, In the website itself, we've got a college survey.
2: That's it, that's it. Okay. (laughs) That college survey will give you, if your child is in the state of India and going to school, here in the state of Indiana, um, type in, you can go to that college survey and you can look for their school and it will also give you the, um, the person that, um, we have information on the person that they could even talk to at the college on, um, they wouldn't necessarily have a IEP, it would transfer to a 504 and that person would be able to help them um, navigate through that college and what they would need as far as um, their um, accommodations is for for lack of a really better term that I want to say but your student your child is the one that is the, going to be the driving force for that and they are the ones that are they are um, um, they're the ones that um, have to drive that so they're the ones that would have to say I get extra time, I get this, that has to all go through that college and um, that person that would be listed there would be the one that I would say start with first, okay, and if you, um, depending on, I don't know where, you're, where you live at or anything, but if you need help with finding that college survey, you can uh, go on to this under the staff and figure out where you live and you can um, call the person that's in your area and they'll be happy to help you find that survey on our link. Um, Ashley, a 504 is the federal, um, it's a, um, um, it's not an IEP, it's with a federal, instead of, having an, instead of having an IEP, and it would be the federal regs and federal laws on a 504, um, but um, the Indiana Special Education Article 7 is um, the IEP. So um, if you have an IEP, you want to stay with an IEP. <laughs> Kathy, you want to elaborate on that one? <laughs> sure. And,
0: and Section 504 of the Rehab Act of 1973 is an anti, basically an anti-discrimination law against Anyone of any age with a qualifying disability, there is a specific piece regarding kids in school, so some kids that maybe don't meet don't have as severe a disability as a child that requires special ed services often will qualify. with a 504 evaluation. What Jill was referencing in in terms of kids leaving school and going on to college, um, IEPs only apply to kids that are in high school or or school, school school-aged kids. Once you've left high school, um, then if you're looking to go go to college or to work, then you you need to have consideration whether or not you meet the criteria under section 504. And for kids that leave high school, they need to provide uh, that information to the college or school that they're going to. And the, that college will decide whether or not the student meets that criteria and then hopefully will develop some accommodations for your child in college. But it is nothing like an IEP, it's very, very different. And your child needs to be able to advocate for themselves to make the case for why they need these accommodations because of their disability. So, yeah, that, that's that's what that reference was was all about. Um, Ashley, if you want more information on Section 504, please go to our website insource.org and you can type in in the search box Section 504, and you'll get lots
1: of information. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm
2: sorry. I don't mean to laugh, but if, if you have an IEP or or you you're in the process of getting one, please stay with it.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. But once you leave high school, you leave the IEP behind. So yeah. got yeah. no choice. But but yeah, it's um both have, both are very very useful, can be very effective. But yeah. So okay. Well, that's all that
2: I've got. Uh. Oh, thanks for clarifying. Let me make sure I've got, okay. Thank you guys so much. You you really had some very good questions today. And I want to thank you very much because this is the first time we've used a question and answer um, type of box like this. And this was very nice. Um, I, I I enjoyed it very well. And I appreciate all the, the questions that were put in there.
0: Yes, I did wow. too. It makes it a much more... Um, interesting discussion
2: (laughs) let's put it that way
0: so okay well hopefully we'll see you all in a couple weeks please join us again watch for us on Facebook live please follow and like us on Facebook okay take it away Jill
1: (laughs) thank you very much and everybody have a great day